Joshua 5, 13 through 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from Acts 15, 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit to the brothers in every city where we have proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas went to take, them, take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and I thank you for this passage of scripture. Although on one hand, Lord, it's sad and difficult to understand how two people that are serving the Lord could disagree so strongly and have to come to separate. But Father, I do pray that you would guide my words, Holy Spirit, as I preach from your word. Pray that you would guide our ears, our eyes, and our hands and feet. Lord, we do pray for unity as Jesus called us to unity. But Lord, we pray for the building of the body of Christ in all things that we are called to do. Bless us this morning, Lord, as we hear from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've witnessed a couple of church splits in my time, and the one that stands out the most in my memory is when I was about 18 years old. Um, What was sad about it is that uh, as my family had moved to Florida, we had been looking for a church for a while, and we'd gotten plugged into this church, and we were excited about the ministries there. The uh, Word of God was being preached. The gospel was being proclaimed. New people were becoming Christians, and so there was a lot of exciting things going on in that church, and it was growing. But slowly but surely, what started to happen is that there was a disagreement between sort of the philosophy of ministry of the pastor and several of the elders, and that disagreement began to start to filter in amongst the people, and before long, it became such a a pressing, difficult issue, and there was such strong disagreement that eventually many people left the church, including the pastor. I remember after some of these things happening, there was a woman in the church who made this statement. She said, how can this be? How can it be that the Lord has been at work doing all these great things and then suddenly this eruption has taken place and many people have gone different directions? Most of the time when church splits or when Christians can't get along or have a difficulty, there is a strong disagreement in which two parties see things so differently in terms of how ministry should be done 
and should be handled. Sometimes we have to admit that churches or individuals in the church will split up over reasons that really are not that significant, and so we need to be careful with those types of things. But nonetheless, we shouldn't be surprised by this. You know, when you think about what the church is, the church is the gathered people of God from all nations, different backgrounds, different um, philosophies, different, uh, all, all kinds of different personality traits that are part of being the church of Jesus Christ. And yet, what brings us together is the unity we have in believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has died for our sins and been resurrected in glory. But it is hard to be the church, and difficulties arise, and there are times where parties think so differently on issues that it seems that the only way to move forward is to part ways. But I kind of echo that lady's question this morning. How can that be? You know, is, is one party spirit-filled and the other not? I mean, who's right and who's wrong? This is immediately the answer that we want to that question when we see Christians disagreeing with each other and going separate ways. And here's the ultimate question. Does God take one party's side and not the other? Well, we approach this text this morning with that question. What do we do when sharp disagreements arise within the church? The end of Acts 15, I would say to you this morning, is one of the saddest moments in church history. You know, chapter 15 of Acts is unbelievable because the Lord has worked to unify the the body of Christ, where circumcision and whether that was going to still be required in in, uh, males believing in the gospel who were Gentile could have divided the church. The Lord, by his work through James and through Peter and through Paul and Barnabas, preserves the gospel that it's through faith alone in Jesus. And so the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch, Jews and Gentiles, Uh, remain united. And so we see this powerful thing that God has done in keeping the church united. And then two of his greatest servants, Paul and Barnabas, who have been ministering the gospel, are in many ways, at the end of this chapter, they're vindicated in what they have been proclaiming, that circumcision is no longer required, but they come to such a sharp disagreement that they have to separate. I would also tell you that it's encouraging to me that Luke actually puts this in the Bible, that the Holy Spirit inspired him to do so. He could have just glossed over it. He could have just said, you know, uh, Paul and Barnabas decided to separate and the mission went two different directions for the good of the gospel. But uh, Luke includes this so that we look realistically at the reality of a conflict that came up in the church and what happened. Well, part of what we're going to do today as we unpack this passage is try to understand what happened here And what would God have us do when disagreements arise within the body of Christ? Look with me again at verses 36 through 39, the first part of it. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Paul had the wise idea of returning to the cities where churches had been started to see how the new believers were doing. And um, they would need encouragement and they would need strengthening in the gospel. And what we see that Paul and Barnabas agreed on is that this is a good idea. This is something that they should do. They should go and continue to build up the body of Christ and check on these churches. But then Barnabas comes up with the idea of allowing John Mark to join them in the journey again. Acts 13 tells us that John Mark had accompanied them before in the mission, and uh, it says also that John Mark left them in Pamphylia. 
Now, little is said in chapter 13 about that event, but we take note of it and, and come to understand here in chapter 15 that this was a pretty big deal that he had left them. Little is told to us on why, but we come to understand through this disagreement that John Mark had really abandoned them in the work that they were called to do. And uh, now, I don't think we're to get the impression here that John Mark had necessarily abandoned faith in Jesus or something along those lines, but he had been called and equipped to go on this mission with Paul and Barnabas, and then he left for some reason that we don't fully understand. He had apparently, though, not endured the hardship of the journey or the mission that he had joined. We know from Colossians 4.10 that John Mark is actually Barnabas' cousin. And so uh, perhaps Barnabas felt some sympathy for his family member. Maybe he said, you know, I know him a little bit better than Paul does, and I think we should give him a second chance. But I don't think Barnabas is acting in ignorance here or thinking that John Mark's abandoning them in their gospel mission wasn't a big deal. Paul strongly disagrees with the idea of Barnabas bringing John Mark with them. And the words actually in the Bible that says sharp disagreement indicate that it was actually a pretty heated disagreement. There may have been arguing that went on over it, and it was likely contentious. So the question we all want to know is, well, who's right? Who's right? Like, was, was Paul right or was Barnabas right? And who's godly in what they're arguing in this particular point? Well, let me start by telling you that Barnabas is right and godly in teaching that John Mark should receive grace and have a second chance. He is. Barnabas' very name means son of encouragement, and likely this is how God was wired him. While he is preaching and proclaiming the grace of God to people as they're listening, he wants to live that out in his approach to John Mark. He believes that grace can change him and that he deserves a second chance, and I think what Barnabas says is righteous and right. So Barnabas is right. Paul's also right. Paul is right and, guard, and godly in guarding the gospel mission from one who had a poor track record of enduring. The mission had called, that God had called Paul and Barnabas on was intense and it was difficult. There would be persecution and there would be trials. But it also may have uh, communicated something to the people that they were ministering to to have this man who's there on the mission as they're proclaiming the gospel and then suddenly he just disappears. And the people that are hearing the gospel are kind of saying, well, what happened with that guy? Why did he not endure in following Jesus? It also is very true that Paul and Barnabas were probably depending on John Mark for certain things. And then when he left, those things had fallen back to Paul and Barnabas. And you know, the reality is that Paul took the gospel and his mission seriously. He may have been a little bit intense. I mean, there's no doubt on that. But I know that, you know, for some of us, even as you think about this, you got to realize that all of us are wired a little bit differently. Some of you are like Barnabas and going, John Mark deserves a second chance. And, you know, we should be gracious. We should encourage him. And some of you are like, no way. Paul is exactly right. There is no room for that kind of behavior in the gospel mission. Paul did rightly understand what was on the line, and he felt that Mark had shown himself to not be trustworthy in finishing this important work he had started. Paul's right and godly in his assessment. And this, too, is important as we um, think about this very issue. Both Paul and Barnabas, I believe, have a desire to see the body of Christ built up. 
Both of them are godly. Both of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. Both are assessing the situation accurately, but from different angles and perspectives. And in the midst of the conflict, we, the church, also need to be those who are interested in building up the body. You know, one of the reasons I picked this morning uh, that passage from uh, Joshua 5 is that uh, in Joshua 5, Joshua, as they, he's leading the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, he comes upon the angel of the Lord and the armies of the Lord, and he basically asks this question, are you on our side? Are you on their side? And you know how the angel answers? No. He's basically saying, I'm not on either of your side. I'm, I, I'm with the Lord. I am the Lord God's angel, and I am serving him alone. And Part of what I think is important for us to see here is that the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us here who was right and who was wrong or who, God, uh, who was on God's side. I think actually the Lord is with them in the midst of this disagreement. And you know what? When we come to disagreements, one of the things I think Paul and Barnabas are doing and all of us should do as well is that we should always be working to build up the body of Christ. And we build up the body of Christ by recognizing, too, that sometimes someone else's opinion, when it is different from ours, may be just as right as ours is. And so here's blank one for you if you're taking notes this morning. We build up the body by recognizing that others' opinions can be godly even if they're the opposite of our own. Others' opinions can be godly, even if they're the opposite of our own. You know, admittedly, sometimes one party is right biblically and one party is wrong, okay? And, you know, we need to check ourselves by the Word of God. Sometimes both parties are wrong, and that happens a lot too, where people are arguing for things and both parties are wrong. But it can happen as well that biblically both parties can be sound doctrinally, they can be following the Lord, and based on their personalities and experience, both have a valid opinion. And so part of what I think the Bible is teaching us and calling us to is that even when these things happen, we need to respect each other when we disagree. When I was in seminary, I taught uh, Sunday school, actually kind of like Angel Roman is doing right now with our adult Sunday school class. And um, I remember uh, I and uh, the assistant pastor were teaching a class on forgiveness. And the week it was my turn to teach, I was going to some of the classic forgiveness texts, and I was talking about how Jesus says that, you know, when someone sins against us, we need to forgive them 70 times 7. And, uh, you know, part of what I was arguing is that actually there's no room for us as Christians to hold a grudge. We need to be those that are continually forgiving. Well, I'll never forget, there was a man in that class, uh, much older than me, and um, he got a little bit heated after the class and came up to kind of talk to me about it because uh, he does social work. And I remember that he, a lot of the work that he had done had been with those who had been abused and, uh, and had really difficult, whether marriages or family life and things like that. And one of the things that he said to me is he said, look, I'm, I'm not disagreeing that the Bible calls us to forgive, but what are the implications of that forgiveness? Like, what does it mean if, if somebody is being abused? Does this mean that they just continue on being abused in those relationships? Or are we not saying that forgiveness includes them walking away so that they're not putting themselves in danger? Well, I remember being a little bit intimidated and my heartbeat started, you know, kind of my hands started to shake because I, I was like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just telling you what the Bible says here. And, you know, I think, I'm, I think I'm right on what it's proclaiming. And one of the things that challenged me, though, as I began to think about that is I realized later on that I was right, but he was also right. 
he was also right. He was making a very valid point that was challenging my thinking, and there was room for both of us to say, hey, you know, he wasn't arguing that we need to ignore the Bible. He wasn't saying that I disagree with what Jesus says. He's just saying that, you know, we need to think carefully about these issues and all the implications, and what does it mean to forgive fully? Let me ask you this morning, church, how do you handle people you disagree with? Does it uh, cause your heartbeat to uh, kind of raise up? And do you get fired up when those disagree with you? Are you very sold and passionate about those things that you believe in? And, you know, it's not wrong to be. We all are passionate about the things that we stand for and believe in. But do you immediately, though, as people disagree with you, feel threatened by that? And do you start to demonize them because of their disagreement? Do you kind of use words like, well, they don't know what they're talking about? They don't know what they're talking about. Or, you know, I'm being really biblical here, and I don't think they understand the Bible as well as I do. One of the things that I have been learning over the years, haven't mastered it, but Mark Rudder, who, who does some coaching with me, has helped me to learn that um, whenever somebody is giving you feedback or disagrees with you, there is something to learn there. There's always something to learn. And people that never can uh, disagree and still love each other um, really don't allow themselves to be sharpened in the gospel and to become better Christians than those who just assume, like, my way or the highway. Also, brothers and sisters, my challenge to you is don't assume God is on your side. God is on his own side. God calls us to be on his side, to follow his way. But when we start to proclaim, God is on my side in this issue, sometimes we presume things that are not necessarily declared to us by the scriptures. There are ways where when we are talking about Jesus Christ being the only way to God and the salvation that the Bible proclaims, certainly we believe when we're aligning with the scriptures that God is on our side in that. But ultimately, our job as Christians is to align ourselves with God's side. Not so much to make sure that we've got God doing what we want. Paul and Barnabas' disagreement is heated. So how do they proceed? Well, we see in the rest of verse 39 through 41. And there arose this sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. These two brothers, again, were desiring to build up the body, but both had such a sharp disagreement over John Mark that they determined that the best way for us to move forward is actually to separate. Barnabas would leave with John Mark, and Paul would, uh, would leave with, with Silas. Silas was the one who actually had come to deliver the letter. He had left the party for a while, but must have returned, and so Paul and Silas then go a different direction. And so in this instance, they felt that the best way to move forward was actually apart from each other. And you know, one of the things that is true for us, church, is that sometimes forcing disagreeing parties to work together will do more harm than good. Forcing disagreeing parties to work together can do more harm than good. If parties have such a different philosophy of ministry or even personality traits that, uh, that are coming so inf- into conflict that it makes working together actually unproductive, then parting ways may be the best option. But it must be done in a way that is for the sake of building up the body of Christ. You know, if Barnabas gets his way and Paul goes with him, it may have been tense for John Mark to be around Paul, who was always kind of skeptical about whether this man would continue on in the faith. 
If Paul gets his way, it may have left John Mark feeling it like the depths of failure were always there. And, and would he ever uh, you know, be able to have another chance to grow in the grace of God? Now, it is encouraging to us to see that later on in Colossians, Paul does reconcile with John Mark. And, and it, it seems to indicate that Paul says to the brothers in Colossae that uh, they should welcome John Mark when he comes. And so the Lord is at work even in those things. But Paul and Barnabas at this particular point decide that the best route to accomplish the task of checking on the church is for Barnabas to take John Mark with him to Cyprus and for Paul to join with Silas and um, go to Syria and Cilicia. This actually provides an opportunity for greater ministry and for them to cover more ground in their gospel work. In separating, what they do is they have a greater ministry of building up the body. And I think it's instructive for us when separation is necessary. In separating, disagreeing Christians do so with an eye to building up the body. We are to guard the peace and the purity of the church of Jesus Christ. You know, verse 40 says that uh, the church commended uh, uh, at least Paul and Silas by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And so, you know, this, this conflict had definitely affected the church. And it may have been that some of them were siding with Paul and others of them were siding with Barnabas. But what they were doing is they were, con- were calling them to continue on in the grace of the Lord for the building up of the body. There are times, and this is blank too, if you're taking notes, there are times where I believe the best way to build up the body is to separate disagreeing, disagreeing parties for the peace and purity of the church. Separate disagreeing parties for the peace and purity of the church. Now, I would say this is not our, our first option, okay? We need to work hard at unity. But there are times if we find that um, what's happening is that this disagreement is actually causing the body to be torn down, then it may be that the best way forward is to separate those that disagree with each other for the building up of the body. I'll tell you another story. I'm not going to use their real names, but there was um, a church uh, with two elders by the name of Daryl, who I'm going to call Daryl, and Landon. And uh, the pastor of that church died. It kind of happened out of the blue. Um, the church had been growing, a lot of exciting ministry things happening there. And um, suddenly, as this pastor died, uh, the, the elders were trying to figure out what to do. Well, um, Daryl and Landon both had this sense that God may be calling them to step into the pastoral position. And so they were talking about this with the elders. And one of the things that they realized very early on is that Daryl, on one hand, was similar in his approach and his thinking of ministry to the pastor who was there before. But Landon uh, had a different vision for where the church could go and kind of had a different um, approach to the ministries of that church. And so um, what began to happen is, uh, in the end, uh, the elders and the congregation decided to go with Landon being the pastor of that church, but Daryl was still an elder there. And what happened is, um, again, I wasn't privy to any of these things, but I heard about them, is that as the elders got together to discuss things, it was just kind of like constant conflict. Daryl always had a different opinion than Landon did. Landon always had a different opinion than Daryl did, and it felt like they were having a struggle to get anything done. Sometimes the meetings got very heated and uncomfortable for everybody that were there. And slowly but surely, what started to happen was that some of the church was siding with Daryl and some of the church was siding with Landon. Daryl began to pray about it and realizing the difficulty of what was happening and how it was kind of tearing that body down, that he and his family prayerfully decided that it was going to be best 
if they left the church at that point and went to another church. And here's where I am encouraged in the gospel in that story, okay? Is that one of the things that they did on the last Sunday there is, is uh, Landon, the pastor, got up and he brought the family up and he said, we are so thankful for what God has done through them. They have ministered to this church and they have built up the body. And what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate them today. We're going to pray for them and we're going to send them in the peace of Christ. That's an example of a time where both men, filled by the Spirit, decided that the best way to move forward for the building up of the body was for them to separate. You know, all of us as Christians, if you're a member of our church, you take a vow to the peace and purity of the church. And you know, part of what that means is that we are to work hard at getting along. And we are to also recognize that the church is filled with multiple different personalities, different temperaments, and different experiences. And the reality is all of us come from different experiences and we sort of process ministry and life and church and even the scriptures through those different experiences. And we need to be careful about that. One of the things that they made um, me do in seminary is, is take the Myers-Briggs. And I know some of you love the Myers-Briggs and others of you hate the Myers-Briggs. And it's basically this temperament personality test. But one of the reasons that they do that is they try to help you to understand that you're wired a certain way. You communicate a certain way, you, you process information, and you process people a certain way. And in that class, we also dissected how our Myers-Briggs relates to all the other Myers-Briggs. And I'll tell you, it was one of the most helpful things, because um, you start to realize that, you know, sometimes you just have to recognize that not everybody's wired like you. All of us are different. All of us come from different experiences and different temperaments. But I also would encourage us to be paying attention to how we are getting along with people in the church. You know, there may be a ministry in the church where we say, um, I, I'm constantly in conflict with this person. And if I was to try and join into that ministry, you know, I, I might do actually more damage than help build it up. And we need to watch for that. The other place that I think we need to be very careful as Christians in terms of disagreements is watching our tongue. Watching our tongue. All of us... The scriptures uh, calls us to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. We need to listen more than we talk. We need to l listen carefully. And, and um, even a, a good way of doing this is when somebody is speaking to us that we maybe disagree with, try to think through what they're saying and what's behind that. And even as you listen to them, try to say back to them, this is what I hear you saying. And, you know, relating and listening and appreciating those differences. But if leaving does happen in the end where someone says, you know what, I don't think I can continue on, whether in this church or in this relationship with this believer, do so in a way that will build up the body of Christ and not tear it down. Build up the body of Christ and not tear it down. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But isn't this just totally discouraging? I mean, how can godly people separate? I mean, if Christ has called us to be one, you know, aren't we supposed to always be one? I mean, where was Christ Jesus in the midst of this conflict? Where is he when we experience conflict in the body of Christ? Well, here's some principles for us that I take away from this particular passage. There are times where separation may be necessary, but we should never be quick to do so. It needs to be a last resort. 
as Jesus prays for us to be unified as his body, and often when we can turn simple issues into complex ones, we need to always be careful that we're not dividing over things that are not so consequential. You know, weighing things out and saying, hey, you know, if, if this is going to actually uh, cause harm to the body of Christ, then this is how I need to respond. So we need to be those that don't, um, that don't separate from each other just because there's a, a, a slight rise of conflict. And this would be principle number one, I think, that this passage teaches us. Work hard at unity and don't separate easily. Think of all the ways to move forward. And here's another thing to do. Pray for those you disagree with. Pray for them. Pray God's blessings on them. Love them well. Respect them. And you know what? When conflicts arise, we should ask brothers and sisters who are wise and maybe are outside of those situations to help us weigh out options and see if there's not a path forward before separation. Sometimes separation will take place. And sometimes we wonder if it's setting the church back in its mission. Well, we should never think that conflict and disagreement within the church is neutral and has no effect. But nonetheless, we should also recognize that Christ is never surprised by it, nor can it possibly throw off his plan for the gospel to go out to all nations through his church. Amazingly, in the midst of this conflict and this this sad incident, Paul begins on his second missionary journey, and the Lord increases the work through their separation. Perhaps the enemy longed to see these two separated, but you know, the scriptures don't tell us that that was the case. We kind of can assume that maybe that had an implication to it, but what we are to see is that even in the midst of this, even in the sadness of this separation between these two gospel friends, God is winning. God is winning and his gospel is moving forward. And here's principle number two that I think you should take with you from this text. Believe that even in the worst disagreements, Christ is leading his church to victory. Christ is leading his church to victory. You know, when you really think about it, the cross of Jesus Christ is the worst of times. It's the worst of times. It is, it is the Son of God has come to earth and now he's dying on a cross. This one who has healed many that, uh, that were lame and, and couldn't walk and couldn't see. This one who has fed over 5,000 people. And Jesus also experienced great conflict. In fact, I thought of this this last week. Do you remember that in Mark chapter 5, in Mark 5, you know, Jesus has been preaching and the crowds are following him around. And at one point, his own family members try to grab him and pull him into the house. And basically, his family members tell the crowd, we think he's out of his mind. You know who's included in that? Who's in conflict with Jesus in that moment? That would be his brother James. His brother James is probably part of the family that's saying, we think Jesus is out of his mind. And yet James is also the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And you know how he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem? We don't know all the details, but somewhere along the way, this man who believed that his brother was out of his mind and disagreed with what he was saying and what he was doing saw that he had died for sins and that he had been resurrected in the power of the gospel. And James, who had disagreed with Jesus, looking on the power of Christ in this, decides that his older brother is the Son of God. And he becomes part of the unity and body of Christ. The gospel is that God sent his own son to 
die for the sins of those who disagree with God completely, who war with him, in fact, in our personalities and in our sinful uh, uh, behavior and actions. And yet the Lord loved us so much that he died for our sins and was resurrected. And he joins people that have different personalities and different, uh, um, different gifts and different uh, thoughts and philosophies together as one big family united by Jesus' cross and resurrection. You know, I am quite convinced that Paul and Barnabas today are standing and celebrating the gospel work in heaven before the Lord. They are united. They are family. Families disagree and they have conflicts. But the good news is, is that no matter what happens, the Lord is winning and the Lord is leading his church. This is blank three for you if you're taking notes. Never lose heart that a sharp disagreement in the church will thwart God's plans. Never lose heart that a sharp disagreement in the church will thwart, will thwart God's plans. It's not nothing, but Christ will win. Some of you may know the story of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in the 1700s in Northampton, Massachusetts. And uh, through his preaching and the preaching of a number of other uh, uh, congregational ministers and, and some traveling evangelists at that time, the Lord began what was called the First Great Awakening in the United States. And really powerful how the Lord was ministering to people and many people were getting saved. But in the midst of this, as Jonathan Edwards uh, preached uh, many sermons, uh, there was also those within the church that, that uh, began to conflict with him. There was a man by the name of Charles Chauncey who actually disapproved of some of the emotionalism that he saw going on in this first great awakening. And so he began to write letters about this and it was being more read, read more widely. And so Edwards, in response, was writing letters back trying to talk about what he believed the Lord was doing. And, you know, interestingly enough, if you go back and you read some of these documents, um, there are some areas where I think Charles Chauncey was making some good godly points about some of his concerns in the first great awakening. But by the same token, Jonathan Edwards was making some good godly points about what was happening. And uh, what began to happen, actually, is even within the church, there began a movement of what was called the New Lights. The New Lights were those that were pro this first great awakening that was happening, and the Old Lights who were against it. And so, in many ways, it started to be sort of a separation of the church. One of the things Jonathan Edwards did as he was processing through this is he wrote a book called The Religious Affections. It's a powerful book talking about the experiences that people have when the Holy Spirit is moving their hearts to believe in Jesus. And you know, amazingly, as he is writing this out of reaction to some of the conflict that's going on, the Lord has used that book for generations. And there are people today, even as they're exploring Christianity and they're thinking about what it does to the heart that use this. We use it in seminary classes we use it just to be encouraged in the gospel, and the Lord has continued to build his church. Jonathan Edwards' life uh, ended by uh, being in so, uh, conflict with his church later, uh, in which um, there was something called the halfway covenant, in which people were being allowed to the Lord's Supper before they'd been baptized, and Jonathan Edwards was uh, feeling like this was unbiblical and not the right process. And so conflict began to arise with this great preacher, and he was thrown out of his church. And that was kind of the end of his story. He did a couple other things, amazingly, but um, very simple things. And, um, and then he died, actually, as the president of, of a college. But Jonathan Edwards' life and Charles Chauncey's life and the work that God was doing there was not in vain. 
It was not in vain. The Lord was building his church, and he continues to use some of the writings that went back and forth to sharpen us as Christians in building up the body. What I want to encourage you this morning is this, is that we shouldn't take conflict or separation lightly or that it's inconsequential, okay? But Christ Jesus is still reigning on the throne. There is never a day where he is going to step down from there. I mean, he will return in glory, but he is at the right hand of power for all time. And Jesus cannot lose. That's what the cross inspires us in, is that even as he dies for our sins on the cross, he is resurrected in power and in glory, and he is leading his church to difficulty. So what what should we do, church? We should build up the body. Everything that we do, even in the midst of conflict, look for ways that we can build each other up in Christ. Also, don't be discouraged. Trust that Christ is at work even in the hardest of times. And remember that on the other side of the cross is always resurrection and the peace of Christ that joins families together. Here's your key truth this morning. Because the sovereign Lord builds his church despite sharp disagreements in the body, the Christian trusts the Lord's control and works to build up the body. The Christian trusts the Lord's control and works to build up the body. Isn't it encouraging to know that Christ Jesus is in control, that we don't have to be, that we can trust him, that we can build up his body, but that in the midst of the hardest of times, the glory of God is winning and leading his church to victory. We trust in him and we work hard at unity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for the work that you did through Paul and Barnabas. Lord, it is sad to see how these two spirit-filled believers, both right in the things that they are arguing for the sake of the gospel, had to separate. But Lord, I thank you also for the glimpse of reconciliation we see in Colossians between Paul and John Mark. We thank you for his life. We thank you, Lord, that for all of us, You don't throw us away when we make a mistake, that your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, we also recognize that there can be consequences to our sin and to the things that that it creates, but we thank you, Lord, that Christ Jesus is the sinless one who leads his church. Unify us, Lord. Don't let us be separated by foolish things that should not separate the body. There has been so much of that in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. We pray for unity. We pray for your spirit, and we pray most especially, Lord, that you would help us to love one another as you have so greatly loved us and given yourself for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.